Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap, hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our group learning program and we're in chapter six of this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. Chapter six is titled The Middle Way, Walking the Middle Way. This is a really short chapter in the book and it gives you a little simple teaching that can be very impactful to your life if you understand it and you implement it into your life. This is probably one of the simplest teachings that you'll learn, but can be the most impactful. So I'd like to welcome all of you guys, whether you're joining us for the first time or you've been joining regularly over the course of this program, you can really join at any time as you're getting to learn the teachings of the Buddha on the path to enlightenment because we restart this program as we go all the way towards the end. We restart it as we get to the end from the very beginning. So it's a seven-month program that you can learn chapter by chapter on Sundays and then on Wednesdays I'm teaching either meditation or chanting. And all these classes are recorded as well. So if you aren't able to attend the live class, you have the recordings available to you as well. So I'm going to share with you guys this teaching about the middle way and help you understand how to implement it into your life. It'll probably only take me about maybe 30 minutes to really describe it to you. And then I'll open up to any questions that you guys have about this particular topic and anything else that you guys would like to ask questions about. You can put those questions into YouTube or Zoom. Unfortunately, we're not able to live stream to Facebook today. Live stream is having some impermanence there on Facebook, but you can surely put those into YouTube and Zoom and we'll be able to see those and answer your questions. If you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. So let me share with you guys the teachings about the middle way and walking the middle way. During the lifetime of the Buddha, he lived as a member of a royal family. His father at his birth received information and advice that his son would potentially become a spiritual leader. And his father actually didn't like this information and decided to sequester his son into the royal palace and tried to woo him into the ways of living as a monarch. He gave him lots of rich fabrics, lots of wonderful food, lots of entertainment, beautiful women bathing him and taking care of him. There was nothing but pleasures going on in the palace. So this individual named Siddhartha Gautama, not yet a Buddha, was being wooed into the ways of being a monarch. All the things that riches could buy you, he was able to experience that. But ultimately, he ends up leaving the palace and going off on this journey 
to attain enlightenment. And when he first leaves, he spends time with this first teacher. And this first teacher was teaching him all these aesthetic practices of disparaging the physical body because there were different people who were teaching at different times and they were claiming that it was their teachings that led to enlightenment. And they were thinking that if you can overcome the painful sensations in the body that you could ultimately get to enlightenment. So they were teaching him to starve himself. They were teaching him to hang himself upside down from trees, laying on beds of nails, taking metal implements and piercing the body. And this first teacher had gotten to a point where Siddhartha Gautama had mastered his teachings in about nine to 12 months. And this teacher declared that he was a master of his teachings and said, you know, you can teach my teachings. And Siddhartha Gautama said, you know, my mind wasn't any more peaceful and calm at that time having mastered this person teaching so he knew that his mind hadn't gotten to enlightenment because he wasn't experiencing that peace and that joy of the enlightened mind so then he studies with a second teacher and the second teacher was essentially teaching him the exact same things and he got to the point where he was also declared a master of those teachings as well and once again his mind wasn't any more peaceful than it was when he was living back at the palace so getting frustrated because he's not yet enlightened, you know, getting frustrated and irritated with these two years of study in his mind is not any more enlightened than it was when he left the palace. He decides to go off on his own into the forest. And when he does, he continues to do the same things that he was doing with these two teachers where he was disparaging the body. He was doing all these harmful practices all the way to the point where he was on the brink of death. If you've ever seen a statue or artwork of his ribs protruding and just kind of skin and bones with his facial bones protruding, his elbows and shoulders protruding. This is where he was basically on death's doorstep. He was essentially eating one grain of rice per day. That's how far he took this because he was investigating whether this is truly going to lead to enlightenment or not. But as would have it, this mother and young child came along observing him in the forest seeing the condition that he was in and offered him this bowl of rice and he reluctantly accepts this bowl of rice and starts eating this rice he decides in that moment having the realization that if he didn't eat something this body was going to die and he wasn't going to be able to train the mind but also what he was living in the royal palace with all these central pleasures this wasn't leading to a peaceful and joyful mind either. So in this moment, he started to understand what is now referred to as the middle way or walking the middle way, where disparaging the physical body and doing all these harmful practices was not wise and was not leading to enlightenment. But indulging in all these central pleasures wasn't leading to enlightenment either. So he starts striking up this middle way and it starts with his food. It starts with eating in moderation rather than gorging himself on all this enormous, amazing food, or rather than just eating one grain of rice per day, he starts eating in moderation. He starts eating just one meal a day. Not everybody needs to eat one meal a day in order to get to enlightenment, but you surely would need to gradually work towards eating in moderation where you're not gorging, but you're also not starving the body either. So once he starts to understand this middle way that he needs to strike and start walking this path of the middle way, he starts to gradually train his mind over a four-year period where he ultimately gets to enlightenment. And his core central teaching is the Eightfold Path. And this is his 
teaching that everything else plugs into that a student who is interested in getting to enlightenment would need to know this path inside and out and gradually build up their practice. This is the chapter that we studied last week was the Eightfold Path. And what you're doing is you're dialing in each one of those steps more and more closely to practicing the middle way. You're not going to be able to just snap your fingers and instantly practice those teachings, but slowly but surely you dial your practice in. And this is practicing the middle way where you're not craving and longing and yearning and chasing after the objects of your affection, but you're also not dull and lethargic and unmotivated and unenthusiastic about what you're doing either because that condition of complacency isn't going to produce an improved state of mind either. Instead, what you're doing on this path is you're fine-tuning the mind. You're bringing it to the middle. And there in the middle, the mind can perform optimally. It's much like this musical instrument that I'm showing you here. If you tuned this musical instrument with a string very, very tight and you pluck the string, it wouldn't play beautiful music. It wouldn't play the way that this instrument is intended to play. But also if the string was too loose and you pluck the string, it wouldn't play beautiful music there either. It wouldn't play the way this instrument is intended to play. It's only when you tune this instrument perfectly in the middle and you pluck that string that it plays beautiful music the way that it was intended to play. So once the Buddha became the Buddha, he was enlightened and he understood what it took to train the mind, he used this analogy of the musical instrument to understand what you're doing on this path to enlightenment is you're fine tuning the mind and you're bringing the mind to the middle. Because if your mind is holding on to things too tight, like that string being too tight with craving, desire, attachment, your mind doesn't perform optimally. The mind is just chasing after the objects of his affection. And if it gets what it wants, it gets pleasant and feelings and if it doesn't get what it wants it gets painful feelings but then also if the mind was lackluster and lethargic and complacent and unmotivated like the string is too loose then you're not going to be able to create this peaceful and joyful mind in life either because the mind feels dull and lethargic so this eightfold path you're working to understand it and dial it in and practice this middle way where your mind can be in the middle there there can be peace and there can be joy so rather than pursuing things at a craving or rather than being indifferent you pursue things as a goal as an objective as an interest and the buddha himself needed to do this with the sharing of his teachings whereas if he had craving and he just absolutely wanted to get the teachings out there and he expected everybody to learn them and practice them this is craving desire attachment he wouldn't have been successful in that situation but also if he was dull and lethargic and unmotivated and unenthusiastic about what he was sharing he wouldn't have been successful there either so he needed to gradually slowly but surely pursue this where he was sharing his teachings as a goal objective or interest because he knew that his teachings were going to ultimately reach the entire world someday but he also knew it wasn't going to be during his lifetime so he needed to do the best that he could do during his lifetime in order to share the teachings into the world so that at some point in the future they could gradually find their way more and more into the world so he needed to practice the middle way in all parts of his life including the sharing of his teachings so if you understand this middle way that you're not looking to pursue things so adamantly and obsessively 
and you're also not interested in being unenthusiastic and unmotivated, then you can start applying this teaching not only to the path to enlightenment and how you pursue enlightenment as a goal, objective, or interest, but you can actually apply this same teaching to all parts of your life whether it's spending time with your life partner, whether it's spending time with your children, whether it's pursuing a certain career or job, whether it's maintaining your house or maintaining your car, whatever it is, you need to find the middle way with these kinds of things. So let's just take an example like finances in in a career. If you have a certain job and you just had craving and you just wanted to, to be the richest person and you just wanted a lot of money and you were just pursuing this title or this job or whatever it is and you just wanted to go, 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 go and you were just chasing after it, you're gonna make a lot of mistakes. You're gonna make a lot of unwise decisions because you're pursuing this out of craving. And once again, if you get the objects of your affection, you're getting pleasant feelings, but they're only temporary. And if you don't get what you want, you're going to get angry and frustrated and irritated. But also, if you never applied focus to your career, if you never did job training, if you never applied effort to get feedback from your boss and your peers, if you never looked at your skills and your abilities and kept those refined, if you were unenthusiastic and unmotivated about your career, it wouldn't actually produce successful results in your life. So on either side of this, where you're craving and chasing after your career and chasing after money, or you're just unmotivated and not interested in doing anything to develop your career, here you're not going to be able to create this peaceful mind and this peaceful life or this joyful mind and this joyful life. So you need to apply effort and energy towards working and developing skills and maintaining your career and ensuring that you're gradually working in a direction that's going to be beneficial for you to acquire certain income and sustain your life. But if you just chase, 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 perhaps the way other people are doing, it's ultimately going to end in disappointment. Or if you never did anything, again, it's going to not have the focus that you need in order to pursue and acquire the income and acquire the things that you need. Now, that's just one example, one with your career. But now let's take another one. Let's say if you have a life partner or you aspire to have a life partner. If you're chasing after that and you're running after it with craving, desire, attachment, you're going to most likely make unwise decisions. You might just take the first person who comes along or you might make an unwise decision about who to involve in your life Or if you're currently with a partner, if you chase after them and you crush it and you smother them and you always want to be around them and you're trying to control who they're around and who they're not around, this is the craving desire attachment and it's going to crush this relationship because the mind's not comfortable not being around them and wanting to be around them all the time. And when they're away, you might miss them and you might feel miserable and you might feel sad. But also, if you are interested to have a life partner and you never did anything to potentially go out into the world, meet people, spend time with people, if you were kind of indifferent and uh, you know lackadaisical about that, then you wouldn't actually meet the goal of potentially having a life partner if that's something that you're interested in doing. So you'd like to have this middle way where 
you spend time with your partner, but you realize that that's impermanent, that while you're together, you have quality time rather than looking at the quantity of time, because oftentimes we think that quantity is more valuable. But if you look at the quality of the time that you're together and you spend time as a goal, objective or interest, knowing that sometimes you're going to be together and sometimes you'll be away and that you can train your mind to be together and enjoy that. And you can train your mind that when you're away, you can enjoy that as well. When your mind finds this middle, no matter what the topic is, and we can come up with many different topics, whether it's maintaining your house or your car or your life with your children or any aspect of your life, when you find the middle, your mind will be at peace. There'll be joy there. It's almost like the mind takes a breath. But when you're chasing, chasing, chasing something, you're going to ultimately feel completely exhausted because you're constantly chasing. You're going to feel like you have your nose to the grindstone and there's just no breath. It's almost like swimming and not taking a breath. And it's almost like hurting your lungs because you've been under the water for so long. But also the same thing is if you are dull and lethargic and unmotivated and doing certain things, your mind's going to feel dull and lethargic and unmotivated because it doesn't have that energy that it needs, the initiative and motivation to do something. So when you find the middle on any given topic of whatever it is that you're involved in in life, you'll feel the mind is at ease. You'll feel this peacefulness and this joy that comes into the mind. And there you'll know that the mind is in the middle. And once the mind finds that middle, you need to understand that the middle kind of shifts and it kind of changes at different times, that it's not going to constantly be the same middle. So if you're walking this path, you might start off in all different kind of directions, craving or indifferent, and eventually kind of narrow in on the middle, whether it's with the path to enlightenment or your career or spending time with a life partner or any other aspect of your life, you're kind of walking and you think you're headed towards this mountain and it's going to be a straight line towards this mountain. And you might start off on that path as a straight line and you find the middle and you find that peacefulness and that joy. But then if you're observant with mindfulness and you're aware that this middle is impermanent, that it shifts and changes, you might have to move a bit to the left. You might have to move a little bit to the right. You might need to go up a little hill, down a little hill as you're making your way to this mountain. And an example I can give you is like a practice of generosity, for example. If you understand that generosity is a practice that you'll need to build up as part of your life practice and practicing the giving and sharing of your time, effort, energy, and resources with the people around you, you might find that that's really hard to do. If the mind is craving or you're holding on to your resources really tightly or your time or effort, energy, you might be holding on to that really, really tightly. And you find that it's a real struggle. You might feel some stinginess or some selfishness there. Or you might feel indifferent and be like, ah, whatever, you know, who cares? Let me just share with everybody. Let me give everything away, right? These are like two opposite sides. Well, as you understand this middle way with something like a practice of generosity, you might learn how to more and more come to the middle where you're not holding on to things selfishly and stingily, but you're also not sharing, you know, unlimitedly either where you lack the basic needs that you need in life, but you find this middle. And now you start practicing generosity in your life with your time, your effort, your energy, and your resources. But now as you're walking forward on this path, having found this middle, and there's peace and there's this joy there, you might go through some different changes in your life because of impermanence. 
you and or your partner, or if you're single, you might end up having more income or less income at different times, or you might have higher expenses or lower expenses at different times. And your generosity needs to kind of ebb and flow. It needs to adjust as you're going forward in life. It's not going to be a permanent thing where you can get locked on to the middle and it's just going to be there all the time. You're going to need to, with this practice of generosity, for example, is find that ebb and that flow. And it's the same thing with time with your partner. When you first met your partner, if you have a certain partner, you guys might have been spending a lot of time with each other to get to know each other and understand each other. And now further into your relationship, if you guys have been together for a long time or if you're in a relationship where there's children, you might be spending less and less time together. And that's normal. That's impermanence, right? But if the mind's craving to spend all this same amount of time that you did when you're dating together, then the mind's going to be discontent. So you're going to need to spend time with your partner, with your children, with your mother, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, your friends. But if you craved it and you craved it and you craved it and you chased after it, your mind's going to be discontent. But also, if you never spent time with people and you just could care less who you were around, not making wise decisions about who you chose to be involved in your life, that's not going to produce the best results either. So as you bring this more to the middle and you cultivate relationships with friends and family and your life partner, and you find that middle about the amount of time you're spending with them and you feel that peace and that joy there, well, this middle is then going to shift and it's going to change as your responsibilities at work or at home or you have different projects that are coming and going, this middle is going to shift and it's going to change. You need to be aware of that. So the teachings that I'm sharing with you is all about practicing things in the middle way, being observant that whenever your mind is discontent, it means the mind is not in the middle and you need to find that middle. It might mean that you need to throttle back some because there's too much craving Or it might mean that you need to invigorate some more energy and lift the mind up because it's too dull, it's too lethargic. The string isn't tuned well, it's too loose, or the string's too tight. So you're going to need to look at your life as you're going forward in life, and where you see there's discontentedness, you know there's a craving, desire, attachment, you need to restrain the mind and pull that back. But also where you see there's too much unmotivation or too much lethargic condition in the mind, you're going to need to lift the mind up and practice energy and bring the mind more to the middle. This is all based on the Eightfold Path that the Buddha shared, that it's the Eightfold Path that is helping you to fine tune the mind and bring the mind to the middle, organized into these three sections of wisdom, moral conduct, and mental discipline, that you're practicing each one of these steps and learning them but then you're trying to find the middle. And oftentimes what the mind does is when there's craving, desire, attachment, and the mind's chasing after something, and you start learning non-attachment, and the mind starts letting go of this, oftentimes the mind swings like a pendulum, and it swings all the way over here to being kind of maybe indifferent or unmotivated, like I mentioned, or even complacent in certain situations as you're starting to train the mind to let go of craving, desire, attachment, because the mind in the unenlightened state only typically knows how to pursue things 
out of craving desire attachment. So when you start letting go of this craving desire attachment, the mind will oftentimes swing all the way over here to the other side where there's a lack of motivation. And then you kind of figure that out, that that's not the middle either. And then you kind of let that go and you started bringing the mind up with energy and more invigorating the mind. And now it kind of swings a little bit over here towards craving, but not as much as you had before. And then it kind of swings back and forth and back and forth. And then eventually you kind of find that middle in all these different topics of your life that you need to find it with. And then the mind can be peaceful and joyful there. And then you just need to be observant as the middle is shifting and changing. The way that I also describe this is I describe it like a piece of steel, like if you had a steel rod and you had a piece of wood and you were grinding the steel back and forth on the wood. When you first start, this metal would kind of pop out really easily to either side because there's no groove there yet. So when you're first starting on this practice of the path to enlightenment, you don't quite know where the middle is. So it's easy for the mind to pop out towards craving or towards complacency. And then as you grind the steel back and forth, accumulating more and more benefits from your meditation practice, from practicing the Eightfold Path, from learning these teachings, more and more the mind finds this middle and you make more and more of a groove in this wood. And once the mind is finding the middle more and more for an elongated period of time, it's down deep in this groove and it's less and less likely to pop out. And when it does pop out, you know it right away because you know what it feels like for the mind to be in the middle because you can feel that peacefulness and the joy, that calmness, that serenity when the mind's in the middle. So you'll need to dial this in more and more in each different area of your life, whether it's spending time with family, whether it's your finances, whether it's maintaining your vehicles or your home, whether it's going out and spending time with friends or family, whether it's hobbies or activities, whether it's your career, each one of these things, you'll need to find the middle with it. And when you do, the mind will be peaceful and joyful there, but then you'll just be aware as it ebbs and flows and adjusts and changes. Then the last thing I'll share with you is something that I wrote quite a while ago that I was trying to kind of summarize the the middle way and kind of finding the middle and i'll just read it to you because i think that i i wrote it here in a way that you can maybe understand the topic of this i i titled it where is the middle essentially like how can you find the middle if you observe the mind is experiencing happiness excitement elation thrill exhilaration euphoria sadness anger frustration irritation annoyance guilt shame fear stress anxiety boredom loneliness shyness jealousy resentment etc then move the mind to peacefulness move it to calmness serenity and contentedness with joy this is the middle where the mind is unaffected by discontent feelings the mind can reside in the present moment with singleness of mind peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently as one nears closer and closer to enlightenment through training the mind. The mind will be focused, concentrated, have deep memorization with clarity of thought and no discontent feelings. The mind will be at ease. So while one is learning and practicing to attain this mental state permanently, anytime you observe the mind is not in the middle, experiencing discontentedness, those conditioned pleasant feelings, painful feelings, or neither painful nor pleasant, actively apply right effort to eliminate unwholesome mental qualities 
and arise the wholesome qualities, to bring the mind to the middle, where it resides only in the present moment, letting go of thoughts, feelings, emotions that are discontent, bringing the mind to peacefulness, calmness, serenity, and contentedness with joy so that the mind can be at ease. And this is what I mentioned that it feels like the mind just takes a breath when you find that middle on any particular topic. So be aware that the mind's going to swing like this back and forth. You're not going to be able to just laser-like focus on the middle way that you'll probably swing for back and forth for a little bit on different topics until you find the middle. And then once you're there, be aware that this is going to change. It's going to ebb and flow. And you like to be observant of that. And wherever you observe that the mind is experiencing discontentedness, the mind is not in the middle. And you'd like to bring the mind to the peacefulness. So if that means you need to step back from a conversation, you need to put something on pause, you need to delay a certain decision about something. If you feel the mind's craving, craving, craving and pushing or pulling towards something, you might need to just hit pause on that to allow the mind to take a few breaths, to be at ease. Maybe it's going to take you a few days or a few weeks to kind of think through any particular decision. Because if you make a whole bunch of rapid decisions when your mind's not in the middle, it's going to most likely be unwise decisions that lead to unwholesome results. So in certain conversations, in certain relationships, in certain things like a career or a job, you're going to need to kind of mentally step back or sometimes even physically step back from these things and reflect and think through what it is that you're trying to accomplish in this given situation and being sure that the mind's in the middle where you feel that peacefulness, the calmness, the serenity, and the joy where the mind's at ease. And then when the mind's there, be observant that it can stay there and then make decisions when the mind's there. You'll be much more well thought out decisions that will produce more wholesome results. So this is everything that I have to share with you guys on the middle way. If you've read this chapter, you see what I wrote there. And here you have what I'm sharing with you here in our class. So I'll just open up to whatever questions you guys have on this topic about applying it to your life or certain things that you feel like you maybe aren't in the middle. If you need some help to walk through that and figure that out. Or like I said, if you have questions about anything I shared or once we handle these questions, if you have any questions about anything at all, you're welcome to ask anything and everything. This is just a very light topic here because for the last few weeks, we've been covering you know some pretty meaty topics. So there's just kind of this lighter topic here before next week and the future weeks, we're gonna go into some more meaty topics. So if you're in YouTube or Zoom, you can put your questions into the comment section. If you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow up questions directly. Thank you, Teacher David. Um, I'm wondering if you could give some advice on how to assure a life partner that may not be on the path of your love for them when you are able to be peaceful and be alone um, and have that alone time. Yeah, oftentimes it takes, you know, stepping away, coming back together, stepping away, coming back together so they can see while you're away, you still have care for them. You still love them. Oftentimes practicing generosity with your life partner is really, really helpful. Ensuring that you 
practice generosity. Maybe you bring small little gifts, like it's a little chocolate bar that might cost you a dollar or two, right? Or just some little thing. It doesn't have to be some enormous gift, but just some small little things. You're not interested in doing that every single time, but doing that occasionally. And whether it's sitting down and you know bringing food to their house or having food with them, oftentimes when people are having food, it's comforting for them and they're having conversation and they're having some kind of food or you give them some little gift like chocolate because when they eat the chocolate oftentimes the mind is experiencing pleasant feelings because of that so they'll associate those feelings with you so you might need to go away and come back and go away and come back and as you come back occasionally bringing with you a small little gift and ensuring that when you are together that it's good quality time that you are practicing those five factors of well-spoken speech that we speak at the right time what we say is true it's gentle it's beneficial and it's with a mind of loving kindness and if you're ever in a situation with friends or family or partners where your mind isn't able to practice those five factors it's better to just step away whether that's a few minutes a few hours a few days a few weeks if you're not able to practice those five factors of well-spoken speech then you're making unwise decisions about your speech and it's going to produce unwholesome results in that situation so remember the right time is of course not interrupting but also making sure that your mind isn't angry or frustrated or irritated and making sure their mind isn't irritated frustrated or stressed or having anxiety so if you're experiencing any of that in your mind or their mind even if your mind's completely calm and their mind isn't oftentimes it's best to step away in that situation and just let things calm down because these relationships what you're looking for is long-term sustaining relationship we know the relationships impermanent but we're interested in harmonious relationships where they can be sustaining right and that we can live harmoniously with lots of people so if we're going to plan to kind of be with people and have people in our life long term if we have this conversation right now in this moment when our minds are angry or frustrated or whether we have it three days from now or even three weeks from now it really shouldn't matter because the goal is to have long-lasting sustaining relationships and the only way that we get to that is if we have this generosity with our partners that we have speech that is spoken at the right time that it's true it's gentle it's beneficial and it's with a mind of loving kindness so wherever we see that we're not able to do that it's important to step away and whatever amount of time that needs to be then so be it because if we hurry up and rush to have this conversation and it's just frustration it's just anger it's just blame back and forth to each other that's not going to produce any wholesome results it's just going to make things worse so it's even though there might be craving and the minds might not be willing or interested to step away that's exactly what you need to do the mind oftentimes wants to hold on and it feels like if it holds on the tighter it holds on it's going to somehow keep this relationship going but actually that holding on is the problem that's the attachment so the minds need to get comfortable with okay we're not talking well with each other right now so let's step away and oftentimes the best way to do this is rather than tell the other person like you're not talking well to me i need to go away right it's better to always reflect on your own practice and you can say you know i'm not able to speak well right now you know i value this relationship too much 
and I need to step away and calm my mind down. And if they're like, no, 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 you know, I'm not going to let you do that. That's even more reason why you need to step away. And sometimes you don't necessarily need to say anything. You can just, you know, gradually walk away. And that's best because if you really value your relationships and you're not interested in causing harm, you have that intention of harmlessness, then you can value the relationship more. It's a deeper practice of love to be able to step away and clear the mind, come back together in a few hours, a few days, or a few weeks where the mind's ready and able to have a more meaningful conversation that's going to produce wholesome results. And then when you do come back together, it's important to focus the conversation on what you need to do to improve. If there needs to be a conversation about it at all, is focus on your mind. Because oftentimes what we do when we come back together is you might try to blame the other person for all the things that are going on in your life and how they're causing you problems. But if you spend time away from each other, what you should be reflecting on is not what the other person did, but what you did. But oftentimes when we're so angry, we have wrong view in the unenlightened state, we're away from the other person, we're trying to figure out all the reasons why they are wrong and I am right. This is the ego that's doing this. So when you're away from each other, be spending time reflecting on what could I have done better? Did I practice right intention? Did I practice right speech? Did I practice right action? Was I not loving and kind enough? Was I not compassionate enough? What was it that I was doing that could improve this situation? And when you spend enough time with that and you look at that, if you need help, you can reach out to me and I'll help you, any student, to be able to understand that. And then as you investigate that and you see the things that you need to improve, if there needs to be a conversation to sort that out, then it's very wise to only talk about what it is that you need to do and to improve because in practicing right view, we know that anytime your mind is frustrated or irritated or any other discontent feeling, the mind is causing it itself. And you can talk about your attachments and yeah, I'm a work in progress and you can apologize and say you're sorry and these kinds of things. But if you ever experience not only the heightened escalation of an argument or a potential argument, or if you're ever in a conversation where there's blame going back and forth in both directions, it's best to just end the conversation and walk away and clear the mind, get the mind back to right view, get the mind back to right intention, right speech, right action. And if you need to reach out for help, that's what I'm here for. And then when there's time to come back together, you can come back together and then both of your minds are be in a better place. Thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. I can see where the middle way helps with that. Previously, I believe the fear of practicing the pause was in relationship to life partners was the other women that come in when practicing the pause. Um, but now with right view, understanding the middle way, it's more important to practice the pause and love unconditionally um, and just want that other person to be well. Um, so it's, a, it's helpful. Yeah, um, if you're, like- I would just like to share something with you there. If you're ever in a relationship, you or anybody else, and you guys are together, And then when you're apart, the mind is worried about them going with another person. This is the craving, desire, attachment, right? And if that 
person chooses to go with somebody else, then that's their choice. You know, that's where they're choosing to be with somebody else. And maybe they're not as committed to the relationship as you thought they were or that they thought they were. And that's a good thing to be able to see and be able to know that if somebody is craving interaction with a woman or a man and they're with you and then when they're not with you they have to bring somebody else into their life in order to kind of meet that void then that shows what they're craving and that's where you would decide whether it makes sense for you to continue in this relationship and knowing this person's challenges help them work through that if you're going to be successful together. They're going to need to let go of that craving, desire, attachment. They're going to need to learn how to be by themselves and be alone because they're not going to always be with somebody. And they're going to need to know how to come together, have calm discussions. And when things aren't going well, to be able to step away, reflect and think on that. So there's a lot of skills that need to be cultivated in order to develop a healthy relationship where you can come together, be calm, have discussions, and when it's not going well, have the strength and value the relationship enough to be willing to step away and see that as healthy and productive. Yes, thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. It looks like Marcy has her hand raised. Let's go to her. Thank you, Christy. Thank you, Teach David. Um, so Teach David, today when you talked about like that pendulum, I'm finding myself that I'm recognizing and I'm aware when I have discontentedness and then I almost feel like I go into this complete shutdown, which I'm assuming is that kind of like complacent avoidance type of I just, you know, just shut down and I get stuck there and I'm getting stuck there for like days, you know, um, and it's and I find that when I'm kind of stuck in that situation, I'm being a little bit more um, annoyed and frustrated with people that I'm interacting with. And I lose this kind of like no interest in trying to, uh, not that I want to have ill will towards anybody, but like really trying to practice loving kindness towards people. And I'm getting stuck. So I'm not, I'm having a hard time kind of like swinging that pendulum back to where I'm coming back to around to wanting to practice love and kindness, generosity, and you know having the intentions of seeing all beings do well. Or I should say this, this mind, this body, this mind. Okay, so now that you're aware that the mind's doing this, and that's like 90% of it right there, is like just being aware what the mind's doing, and that's why I share this, that when you let go of craving, the mind tends to swing to the other side because we don't even realize that that's what's happening oftentimes. So understanding what's happening is 90% of it. So what you would like to be able to do is catch that sooner and sooner because the longer the mind's in that complacency, that lack of motivation, the harder it is to get it out of there. So as you see the mind headed in that direction where you're sitting around on, you know, for three hours, six hours a day and just doing nothing, like, oh my goodness, this is complacency. This is a hindrance to my ability to train this mind. Let me get off this sofa. Let me go out for a walk. Let me go to get something to eat. Let me go for a bike ride. Let me, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Let me go spend some time with a friend. Let me pick up a book. Let me uh, attend a class like this or what have you. So the sooner you catch it, the better because then it'll be easier to bring the mind back to the middle. Because once it gets 
deeply rooted in that complacency, it's almost like digging its heels in and it doesn't want to move, right? So catch it sooner and sooner because now you're aware that that's what's happening. But even if it's been three days, a week or so, and you see that there's complacency in the mind, you can still bring the mind out of that. What you're trying to do is you're trying to arise the enlightenment factor of energy. This is from the seven factors of enlightenment. And those seven factors, the first factor is mindfulness. This is the same mindfulness that's in the Eightfold Path. The Buddha describes mindfulness and puts it into various teachings because you need it at different times for different reasons. But the mindfulness is awareness of mind, generally. So you'd like to always be practicing awareness of mind. So if you have awareness of mind, you can catch it sooner and sooner before it gets into those three days of complacency or three weeks of complacency. Because as part of those seven factors of enlightenment, if you're practicing mindfulness, when you see the mind's dull and lethargic, you then practice the enlightenment factors of investigation, of energy and joy. But you can just arise the enlightenment factor of energy by you know, going out for a walk or going on a hike or taking a bike ride or whatever it is that you enjoy doing. Everybody is unique and everybody's different. What the enlightenment factor of energy is, is having the willingness and the initiative to do something, being enthusiastic and motivated about something. So whatever point that you see the mind being complacent, you would like to bring the mind back to the middle with the enlightenment factor of energy. You need to apply the right effort. That effort that we talked about as part of the sixth step of the Eightfold Path is where you see unwholesome qualities in the mind. You apply the effort to cut that off and let it go. And then you arise the wholesome quality. So here what we're talking about is the unwholesome quality is complacency. So where you see that unwholesome quality of complacency, you then apply the right effort to cut that off and let it go, eliminate it from the mind. And the wholesome quality in this example is the enlightenment factor of energy. That's what you're cultivating and bringing into the mind. So each one of these challenges or problems, so to speak, in the mind, you start learning really quickly what the solution is, right? So if you experience complacency, you should automatically know the solution is energy and I need to go out for a bike ride, I need to go for a walk, I need to just go to the mall and walk around. If it's cold outside, if it's raining outside or what have you, same thing like as you learn these different teachings, you learn all these different unwholesome qualities and what the antidote is. Some people even describe the Buddha like a doctor. There's a certain symptom or a certain problem in the mind and then here's the antidote, here's the solution. So this is how you get rid of complacency is apply right effort to eliminate complacency and arise energy in the mind. And that's what brings it back to the middle. I appreciate that because with you, with your explanation of that, I realized that I get that discontentedness. I, I am aware of it. And then I go to the letting go, but then I become complacent. And then when I try to, release the complacency, I go right back to the discontentedness. So I feel like I'm stuck in this little bit of a loop, but mm -hmm. I think the problem is, is that I'm not um, diverting my attention to something else. So when I'm trying to apply the effort to come out of that complacency, I'm not antidoting it with anything of like going out for a walk, which would take me away from ret returning to the discontentedness, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I really do appreciate that. Um, 
that that was very very helpful thank you yeah you're welcome and what i'll add to this is you know in some cultures we're taught to be like nose to the grindstone and constantly go 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 all the time that would be craving desire attachment but sitting around the house for three days straight and doing nothing you know that's complacency right so what you're doing is trying to find this middle where yeah sometimes you're going to need to sit around for two or three hours and do nothing and just lay on the sofa and watch some tv perhaps or read a book or do something else right and just see doing nothing as being productive. This is something I had to train my mind to do after being in business for so many years. When I got here to Thailand and I was no longer in that business, I was no longer a business owner, I didn't know how to relax. I had to train my mind how to relax because I was go, 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 go all the time in America based on the culture and based on the things that I did there. So you know, I didn't know how to relax. So you'll need to relax. You'll need to spend hours here and there just doing nothing, but you're not interested in that coming from a position of complacency and allowing the mind to just be dull and lethargic. So craving and chasing things, nose to the grindstone, that's not the middle way. Sitting around for multiple days doing nothing, not that you're sick, not that you're injured or something like that, but you're just sitting around just for the sake of sitting around and doing nothing. You're not interested in that either. So wherever you see either of those two things going on, you know you need to bring the mind to the middle. So if the mind's excited and in that craving state, you're interested in bringing in tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. That's what brings it to the middle. Where you see the mind is dull and lethargic or complacent, you arise investigation, energy, and joy and bring the mind to the middle. And then know that, yeah, sometimes you can sit around and train your mind to just relax and do nothing. And that's okay. Thank you, sir. Um, Tenzin uh, asks in Zoom, is it possible to be in the middle and still experience pleasant feelings, but without craving desires and attachment? Does the middle mean feeling numb? The middle does not mean feeling numb. And if there's craving desire attachment, you'll feel conditioned feelings. You'll feel conditioned, pleasant feelings, painful feelings, neither painful nor pleasant based on some condition. But when your mind comes to the middle, your mind isn't numb. Your mind is peaceful and joyful. You're going to have enjoyment there. The mind's going to be fulfilled. Like everything's going wonderful. You've got a big smile on your face. Everything feels fulfilling. Everything feels at ease. There's like nothing that could go wrong in your life. That's like the, the middle way, right? But because the mind still has pollution, it's not yet enlightened, there's going to be something that happens. But ultimately, when you face those struggles and those challenges, you can overcome them in this amount of time that the mind is in the middle gets elongated more and more and more. So I wouldn't describe the mind being in the middle as pleasant feelings because we use that to describe conditioned pleasant feelings, which is discontentedness. But the enlightened mind is experiencing what is beyond pleasure and pain. There's this joy, this inner fulfillment, this unconditioned happiness, if we'd like to call it that, where there just doesn't need to be any condition to exist. Like you could sit on a bench and just look at the view and just be like so satisfied. But if something happened and you needed to get up off of that bench and go somewhere else, you'd be fine with that too. You're not fixated on that one particular thing because when there's craving desire attachment the mind can only be happy if these conditions are met 
where by the time your mind is moving to the middle, you don't need certain conditions to be met to experience that joy or that unconditioned happiness. It's just always there. It's like the light is always on. So I wouldn't describe it as pleasant feelings, but they're beyond pleasure and pain. It's better than the pleasant feelings that you ever experience in the unenlightened mental state. There should be joy, this inner fulfillment, this unconditioned happiness, this ease about the mind and about your life. Everything is just smooth and, and nothing could go wrong. Things are going so smoothly. Thank you, sir. Um, mm -hmm. And Max asks on YouTube, did people become enlightened before the Buddha? But the Buddha is the only one that found the path and taught how to become enlightened. The Buddha describes that he's the discoverer, the declarer, the originator of the path to enlightenment and it was unarisen before him, meaning that this path did not exist before him. That's what he shared during his lifetime. Whether people experience this heightened awareness and this higher state of consciousness or not before the Buddha, I don't know. I don't have any documented proof that that existed. But this mental state that the Buddha describes as enlightenment, there's the potential that people could have experienced this in other ways that didn't involve the Buddha or his teachings. I don't know of any situation like that. I don't have any documented proof, but it's the potential because the human mind has the potential to experience this. Oftentimes what I talk about or what I know about as the Holy Spirit from Jesus Christ, for example, sounds very similar to what the Buddha is describing as enlightenment. And there's a certain path that Jesus was teaching as part of his teaching. So where he was talking about you reap what you sow, the Buddha was talking about, and of course Jesus was after the Buddha, but I'm just giving you this as an example, is that you know, where Jesus was teaching you reap what you sow, the Buddha was teaching the natural law of karma, of cause and effect. Where Jesus was teaching, you know, love thy neighbor, the Buddha was teaching have loving kindness and compassion for all beings. You know, we could go, you know, point by point by point where Jesus was essentially tapping into these same natural laws of existence that the Buddha tapped into. And he was just describing them in a very different, unique way than what the Buddha described them as. A fully perfectly enlightened Buddha is going to describe them very clear, very concise, very precisely. But this state of mind that one experiences as an enlightened being, it's a state of mind that is accessible to all humans. And one could find their way to that in any number of different ways, potentially, even through Hinduism or Christianity, perhaps, or maybe even Muslim teachings, you know, depending on what wisdom you've cultivated and what teachers you have that's sharing with you, you might be able to find your way to this mental state. But what I suggest for people to do is to find a teacher and a set of teachings that really speaks to them and that is very clear and very concise, and that you have access to that individual to be able to help you on this path. And if you can find that type of individual and that type of collection of teachings, then pursue that and go all the way through with that. But when we mix and match, like we try to mix a little bit of Christianity with Buddhism and Muslim teachings and Hindu teachings, it gets very dicey and very confusing for people. So I did this with Thai massage. When I learned Thai massage, I performed Thai massage and I taught Thai massage. I just kept with Thai massage, the way that the Thai people did it. And it was very potent. It was very powerful to help heal the human body. 
where other people took a different approach where they mixed in Ayurveda medicine or they mixed in Chinese medicine and things like this. And in my opinion, it dilutes the strength and the power of Thai massage because we're now mixing it and blending it with all these other things that don't necessarily belong there. So with the Buddhist teachings, my approach to this has always been to just keep it the way that the Buddha taught it because he's the discoverer, the declarer, and the originator of this path. And he says in his teachings that if their set of teachings does not include the Four Noble Truths, he says that it's not possible to get to enlightenment without the Four Noble Truths. He also says as of a collection of teachings doesn't contain the Eightfold Path, that it's not possible to get to enlightenment without the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths, which the Four Noble Truths is part of the Eightfold Path. But of course, the Buddha is speaking from his perspective and what he experienced as a human being, because what he knew was the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths. And I would say the same thing that I only know how to get to enlightenment through this Eightfold Path and through the teachings of the Buddha. Where I see some similarities in Christian teachings or Muslim teachings or Hindu teachings, I see some connections and some similarities, but I wouldn't be able to lead somebody in those teachings, in Hindu teachings, Muslim teachings, or Christian teachings to fully experience what it is that you will experience in the Buddhist teachings, because all I know that is very penetrating to be able to help you get to enlightenment is the teachings of the Buddha. I understand Jesus' teachings very deeply, pretty much, but I wouldn't know how to guide you to experiencing enlightenment with those set of teachings. I know a little bit about Hindu teachings, but I wouldn't know how to guide you to the state of enlightenment through those. I know very little about Muslim teachings but I surely wouldn't be able to guide you to this same mental state through those teachings. But potentially, there's people out there that could, but I'm just not that person. I could guide somebody through the teachings of the Buddha. So if there's other people out there that are getting to the same mental state through other teachings, wonderful. You know, that's outstanding because the ultimate goal is for all humans to get to this mental state. But what I'm sharing is what the Buddha taught, and that's what really speaks to me, and that I'm able to then share and communicate to others. Thank you, Stuart. Um, let's go to Joe. It looks like he has his hand raised. Hi. Um, I guess um, for the last two or three years, maybe, once in a while, like once, I don't know, it might be every six months, or it might be once a month, but like for i'll get it like a two minute window of you know some kind of calmness or something for instance last night i bring this up because last night i was sitting on the bed and i was looking for something looking for a movie to watch and my partner's in the bathroom you know doing her routine or whatever the, and i hear the familiar cling and clang of you know whatever um the drawers opening and this that and the other and I know it right away because, you know, when I do experience this, you know, calmness, I would call it, or, you know, it's almost, I don't know, I would equate it with, you know, I don't want to say, you know, smoking marijuana almost or something like that. Um, it's like, uh, you know, it's a, it's sort of euphoric, but it's more of like just, you know, a peaceful feeling. But, it, and I know it's a different feeling than what I would normally have because I realize it instantly. Um, it would only last for like two or three minutes. Um, and it could be me, you know, just sitting on the bed or sitting in a chair. It was 
pretty random. Um, but like I said, it only would happen like once every two or three months for maybe a minute. Um, and this is the first time it's happened since I've moved to, to this, uh, uh, apartment house where I live now. But, um, anyways, is this sound like a touch of the middle or, you know, yeah, this is giving you a glimpse of the potential of what the mind can do and what it can achieve and what it can experience that for that two minutes or that one minute, it's like, there's nothing else that you need in the world that you just feel completely satisfied, completely fulfilled. There's nothing external outside of you that the mind wants in that moment. And for a minute or two or however long it is, the mind's completely satisfied. And what you're working towards doing is now applying the middle way with all the different aspects of your life to elongating this. So it's not just a minute or two, once every two or three months, but it becomes five minutes every day and 30 minutes every day and five hours each day. And, you know, like it just expands more and more and more where your mind's experiencing that same mental quality at all waking times. That's when the mind is actually enlightened. But yes, what you're describing sounds like the mind is in the middle in that particular moment, that one minute or two minutes. And it's where the mind feels like there's nothing else that you need and you're just completely fulfilled in those moments. And then what you would like to do is just maintain that mental state for longer and longer periods. And it's the Eightfold Path that's going to help you do that. Right. So it's continuing the meditation. It's continuing to be dedicated and diligent with that breathing mindfulness and loving kindness. It's dialing in each one of those dials as you experience each individual situation in your life. Keep applying the Eightfold Path more and more so that you can elongate this. Sometimes when people are learning, you might have certain relationships, Joe, in your life where you might have known this person for an extended period of time and you guys have never had a harsh word between the two of you and you just always utterly pleased and the relationship is just completely fine and you'd be there for that person and that person would be there for you and you've never had a harsh word or even a, a harsh thought about this person ever. In that particular relationship, the mind is practicing the middle way. But now what the mind is looking to do in order to experience enlightenment is apply those same principles in the same way you interact with that person to each individual relationship and each individual situation that you have in your life so that you're encompassing your whole life with more and more of this practice of the middle way and non-attachment. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a short fleeting thing that, you know, and like I said, I can tell because it's way off of how I normally feel. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And what's really helpful about those situations is when you observe that and what the mind's experiencing, you know what the middle feels like so that then when the mind is not there, you know that, right? So that now that you've had those glimpses of what it feels like for the mind to be that calm, serene state, when the mind's not there, you can be observant that it's not there and then bring the mind back, right? So when you feel your mind going into that excited state or that agitated state, you can spot it sooner and sooner and bring the mind back. Because just like I was talking with Marcy about complacency, is the longer you allow the mind to stay in the complacency, the harder it is to get it out. And it's the same thing, like once the mind 
goes into that anger, the longer it stays in that anger, the harder it is oftentimes to bring it out of the anger. So with mindfulness, catching it sooner and sooner that the mind is not in the middle, you can bring it back to the middle more easily. But the longer you allow the mind to dwell outside of the middle, the harder it is to get it back to the middle. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. That's great that you see the potential because you've experienced a bit of that. Teacher David, sir, when one notices their mind um, becoming agitated, I was speaking with you earlier about a, playing a game with my son, and he kept blowing me out of the water, and I started to get a little frustrated, and cut that off, and redirected the mind. When you notice that it's easy to redirect the mind, is it a wise idea to then? Um, well, what I did was I continued to play another game um, just to see, well, am I going to get frustrated if he beats me again? Um, or is it wise to just keep redirecting the mind and do something different if it's just a little frustration? It depends on how much control you have over the mind and how high your discontentedness is. So if it's just kind of like a minor irritation and you're able to cut it off and let it go, put the mind right back in that situation because the mind's gonna wanna run away and push it away. So if you put the mind right back in the situation where it didn't like, now it's gotta like experience that again. So if you have control of the mind and it wasn't that much of a discontentedness, then yeah, putting the mind right back in the situation is wise. But if you feel a, a higher degree of frustration or, or, or anger coming into the mind, you're not interested in necessarily putting it right back in the same moment or the same day. You might need to cut that off, redirect it, come back the next day or two or three days later and do it again. And then, you know, oftentimes what the mind wants to do is aversion, push this away. I'm never playing with him ever again. He's too good. But what you'd like to do is put the mind right back in the situation that it was uncomfortable with, but making sure you've gained some composure, you're some calmness, you've got some control because the mind is like this third entity. It's almost like a, a child. And you're trying to put this mind into the situation that it's uncomfortable with and train it that, hey, you're going to be comfortable here. You don't have a choice about this. And as it throws its fit and it throws its temper tantrum, you're cutting it off and cutting it off and cutting it off. And so that sometimes that means putting the mind in the situation, but when it arises, trying to cut it off. And if you can't, then step away from the situation, redirect the mind somewhere else. Then a few days later, come back into the situation, put it in there again. You'll see the discontentedness will be less, but it's still there. Try to cut it off, cut it off, cut it off. Go away for a few days, come back again, try it again. And each time the discontentedness is becoming less and less until you get to the point where he beats you in that game and you're just like, all right, well, of course. And you just start laughing about it and you think it's the most hilarious thing ever that he keeps beating you. And there's no discontentment in the mind whatsoever. And then you'll know that the mind's been liberated. But then you would like to try some other things too. You're, you're not interested in just thinking that, okay, this craving is for sure gone. This is where I used to talk about wringing out the rag, right? So if you've done this with one particular game and you see that the mind got to a point where it's laughing and joking and completely peaceful with being beat, now maybe a few days later, a few weeks later, try a different game, try something else. And 
try it with somebody else even too or with the same person so keep putting the mind in the situation where it's losing or potential has the potential to lose and the way that you protect the mind that it's not discontent when you're losing is that when you win don't allow the mind to get so excited don't allow it to get those pleasant feelings because when you win if you allow the mind to go into those conditioned pleasant feelings and then when you don't win you're going to be angry and frustrated so when you win just maintain your composure smile you know laugh whatever it is that you're going to do but don't allow the mind to get those conditioned pleasant feelings maintain your humbleness of course maintain your calmness and composure you can laugh you can joke whatever you're going to do but just don't allow the mind to get those conditioned pleasant feelings based on the fact that you won then that'll protect your mind more and more that when you lose it won't get the painful feelings thank you sir mm-hmm. um it looks like we have a question from alasco in zoom it says since i'm sorry i'm going to try to read the word immemorial indigenous shaman around the world have experienced altered states of consciousness that maybe like enlightenment i'm not sure i would need to talk with those individuals to know you know in i think it's chapter 3 i have some questions there that helped one to determine if somebody else is enlightened if this person's going to be your teacher for example because you would like to study with somebody who's either very close to enlightenment or enlightened and when i wrote this book i knew that not everybody who reads it is going to have the ability to study with me in fact this book's going to be around after i die so people aren't going to be able to study with me so i put some guidance in there i think there's like six or eight questions to ask somebody that's a potential teacher to determine if someone's enlightened or not so you know you can ask somebody you know is it possible to eliminate anger sadness frustration the ego things like this permanently and if somebody's like no it's not possible to do that that's because they themselves are still experiencing anger, frustration, irritation. They still have ego, so they're saying it's not possible to eliminate it. So right there you know that their mind is not enlightened. But our goal isn't to go around and try to determine if other people are enlightened or not. Our goal is to get to enlightenment yourself. But the reason why I put that in the book is because I mentioned that some people are going to need to find a teacher and I'm not going to necessarily be the one that they study with so I was interested in giving them some guidance of how to determine if a potential teacher is enlightened but any kind of heightened awareness where there's no discontent feelings whatsoever then this person is enlightened and there's other qualities of mind that they would need to have as well I don't know of any other way than the buddhist teachings and that is how I would see one getting to enlightenment is through the teachings of the Buddha. If there's other ways out there, wonderful, but I just don't know what they are and at this point in my life, my interest is sharing these teachings with people to help them get to enlightenment rather than figure out if this particular set of teachings or this particular person is enlightened or not. My interest is directed towards helping you guys get to enlightenment. So that's what I focus on. Thank you. You can experience temporary periods of the mind being in the middle like what Joe was experiencing and even more elongated experiences than that but the mind's not yet enlightened. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> you know, I talked about the middle way 
in the Eightfold Path is the middle way. The Buddha didn't describe this part of it, but what I added to this is how you can apply the middle way to all aspects of your life. That where you feel you're not spending enough time with your children, uh, you have to investigate. Is it a craving that I'm having to spend time with my children? Or is it that I'm lacking motivation and encouragement to do that? Am I really in the middle, but I'm just craving to be somewhere that I'm not? This is where having the mindfulness and awareness of the mind, it'll help you more and more to figure that out. And when your mind is peaceful and joyful and it feels at ease and completely fulfilled, that's how you'll know it's the middle. But if you're in the middle and you're craving to be somewhere that you're not, then that's the craving and you need to cut that off and let it go. So what I'm sharing is how to apply this to your finances, to the maintenance of your house, to other things. Like when I got my very first car, for example, I used to wash it like every three days or every four or five days. <laughs> you know, it eventually got to once a week and things like this. I mean, I was washing that car and armor alling the tires like all the time. You know, that's not the middle way. I was obsessed about this car. I would come out and see one little speck on the car and I would need to clean it off because I really wanted this car to look beautiful because um, it was my first car, right? So slowly but surely, you train your mind to let that go and you realize like, okay, your car is gonna be dirty sometimes. But for a good year or so, two years perhaps, that's what I did. I just kept this car looking immaculate inside and out. There wasn't even a speck of dirt in the car. So that wasn't the middle way. But also never cleaning the car and having it really trashy, that's not wise either. So we've got to find this middle way with each individual aspect of our life. And wherever we're seeing that our mind's not in the middle, the mind's going to be obsessive and craving and longing, or it's going to be uh, lackluster and unmotivated and that's where on all these different things you just kind of manage and create this balanced life for yourself where you're addressing each individual aspect of your life and doing it in the middle way thank you mm -hmm. um, let's go to marcy she has her hand raised thank you christy thank you teacher david um teacher david i'm going to ask this question but this might be not be something that you might want to address at this class but um Prior to, you know, what Joe was talking about, and we talk about those those mo moment times of like clarity, peacefulness, calmness, and, you know, you know, prior to when I first started with you, I kind of was more in an isolated type of situation. Um, and I didn't have a lot of external um, influences. So I was, you know, waking in the morning, you know, no more dreams, waking in the morning, feeling very peaceful, very calm, um, you know, just feeling this this you know joyfulness or bliss throughout my day and these were extended days i would have these these moments for days and days and days and now where i'm at now i feel i i don't i'm not waking with those anymore like i'm kind of having dreams and stuff again and is that a part of that pendulum that you talked about is that part of that that back and forth um and I, now i feel myself like craving wanting to go back there but i know that having any kind of craving to kind of go back to that is obviously not you know beneficial to the mind so is there anything you could recommend or i obviously i know mindful breathing and stuff and practicing the noble eightfold path to kind of alleviate that craving because i do find myself very uh interested and really kind of wanting to kind of go back to that and of course now in my life i have more external 
uh, influences, you know, with work and relationship and things of that nature. I mean, is it, should I cut these things out of my life again and go back to more of isolation or, you know? What I mean? <laughs> yeah. well, well, you'll have to decide for yourself about, you know, what you include or not include in your life. What you said there was really wise about knowing that if you're craving for that level of peacefulness, again, you're not going to be able to experience it. So, that's wise and observant of you to be able to observe that, yeah, I need to let go of the craving to be back there. So what you do is you just realize that, okay, you just experienced a whole lot of impermanence in your life. You went from not working and being more isolated to working and doing a really good job at that one store. Then there was all this effort towards moving to another store. And then you did that for a while. And then boom, you like, you know, went away from that. And I'm not sure if you've gotten a new position now somewhere else, perhaps. So there's been like all these shifting and changing. And even though you're making these decisions consciously about what you're doing, the mind is like this third entity, like, oh, hold on a second. Like you're throwing all this impermanence at me. Like what's going on here? The mind's kind of spinning a bit. So yeah, it's like the pendulum swinging back and forth and things haven't gotten settled down yet in the mind. So the things that led to your peacefulness that you did before, where you paid a lot of attention to the Eightfold Path and your meditations, and you just stay dedicated to doing that, that's what you do. You stay dedicated to the Eightfold Path, you stay determined, you stay diligent. This is like a test that your mind's going through. It's swinging, the pendulum's swinging. But as you fine tune the mind through the Eightfold Path and with your meditations, staying diligent there, eventually that stuff will all calm down and the mind will come to the middle. It might take four weeks, it might take eight weeks, it might take 12 weeks, you don't know at this point. There'll be a period of time where you'll just stay dedicated, dedicated, dedicated. Everything will be really shaken up in your life. And just one day you'll wake up and like, wow, the peacefulness is back. But don't get excited about it. Don't get, you know, so all these pleasant feelings based on the condition that the peacefulness has come back. So when you experience the peacefulness, like, hmm, okay, I see you. Right. You just kind of stay calm and, and focused and centered and stable. So you just continue to stay dedicated to the path. This is where your confidence in the Buddha, the teachings, the community, your teacher and your ability to attain enlightenment. You need to get rid of the doubt if there's any doubt in there and just stay with the confidence and your dedication and your diligence and just know that, hey, you did it once before and you were working in that direction and all the things that you were doing was working. Now you're just in this period of flux where there's a lot of impermanence. So just keep staying dedicated to what you were doing with the Eightfold Path. The peacefulness will come back. Anytime you see cravings, cut it off, let it go. Just keep staying dedicated to doing all those same things. Yeah, and I and I and I know that like when I was you know more in my isolation, what I was doing is I was reciting to myself you know the um, uh, the the four the three universal truths, the four noble truth, um, the four noble truths, and I was able to recite them from memory. And you know the eightfold path and the five um, uh, aspects of right speech, and I would recite those in the morning for myself, but. Is that something that I mean, was that a craving that I was doing that or was that something that I was training my mind and it's okay, maybe I should bring that back into my daily, you know, routine, you know, because um, now I feel like sometimes I where I would be able to, you know, say all the five factors of right speech, I'd be able to pull it out and be able to do it and apply it where now I feel a little bit more like 
who like are, what are they again i gotta really start to think and the other day like i was talking about the three uh, universal truths with my son and i couldn't remember you know good morals like i couldn't remember that but before i had that it was it was embedded in my mind yeah so this is what's called thinking and pondering and the buddha describes this as part of the path that as you learn the teachings where in the past you didn't know these teachings and whatever happened in the world you just kind of plowed through it and made whatever decisions you were going to make i call it you know running through the forest knocking down the trees and burning up the forest that's kind of what we do when we just have selfish cravings and desires we just run through the forest knock down the trees and burn up the forest where now that you know a bit of the teachings you're more thinking and pondering about those teachings and you used to do that as part of your morning and that's how you rose the teachings up into the mind and you made sure that they were consciously in the mind this is wise this is helpful for you to do and the buddha talked about that as being part of the path but understand that when you have certain cravings that come up in the mind like we've talked privately and there were certain cravings that you expressed that were in the mind whenever the craving arises not only does discontentedness arise, but that muddle-mindedness comes into the mind. So the mind becomes less focused and less concentrated. And that's why you're trying to clear out this pollution of craving, anger, and ignorance, because as long as that pollution's in there, it's going to create this muddle mind, where before you had craving, anger, and ignorance in the mind, but it just hadn't arisen yet. It was kind of like under the carpet right? And it was like the room was pretty clear and the air was pretty clear. But now because of the situations that you just went through, it's like the carpet got pulled back and the dust's flying around. But what you would like to do is while this dust is flying around is clear it out of the house, get all this pollution out of the mind so that that's why you're staying dedicated to the Eightfold Path and the meditations and everything else is you're trying to clear this pollution out and clear this pollution out. And one of the only ways for the pollution to get cleared out is it needs to come up into the mind so that you can see, ah, there's craving. Let me get rid of that. Ah, there's anger. Let me get rid of that. What do I do to, for anger? Oh, loving kindness meditation and practicing loving kindness. Ah, what do I do for craving? Breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity. So you need to experience the arising of some of these pollutions and see the results of what you experience as a way to actually clear it out of the mind. And during that period of time, there's going to be more muddle mindedness. But the things that were working before, you tend to go back to those because it was working before. So it's obviously was wise and helpful. So if reciting the three universal truths, the four noble truths and the others, was helpful for you, then do that. This is one of the reasons why I have those posters that I have, yeah. um, that image that you can print that or you can order printed versions of it. And it's a good little refresher in the morning. Or you might even like open the book and refresh your mind. Like if you're really working on right speech, like really bring that up in the morning, like look at it and then maybe even have it on your phone that in the middle of the day you look at it again and then in the evening maybe you look at it again or you're getting ready to go into a business meeting you can look at the five factors of well-spoken speech i used to do this regularly is like 
when I was working on one particular thing in the morning, the middle of the day, in the afternoon or evening, I would refresh my memory on that to bring it up into the mind. And what the Buddha would teach people to do is in the community, they would discuss the teachings. So, you know, you've got all these ordained practitioners around during the day while the household practitioners are out working. They would be discussing the teachings amongst themselves as a way to bring the teachings up into the mind. Or he would have them recite the teachings every two weeks. They would chant the teachings as a way to bring them up into the mind. So now you'll perhaps decide to do that as your own discipline, your own practice of either looking at a poster or looking at the book or just recalling it from memory. This is a very wise practice to do. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I'm just gonna have to gradually bring myself back to to that kind of like routine, you know, without any kind of craving. Mm -hmm. All right, thank you. Yeah, the key there is gradual. That's a very wise way to think about it. Doesn't look like we have any more questions at this time, but I do have um, one more question. Um, if it's not acceptable, I apologize. Um, but you're speaking about the posters Mm -hmm. So I'm tempted to ask it. You guys Sometimes. can you guys can ask any question. I have no expectations of you about what questions you should ask or shouldn't ask. So everything is acceptable. <laughs> okay. Um, sometimes the the slides that you share, there's an interest to print it. Mm -hmm. And when I try to print it, I'll like take a screenshot, but they're always black with white writing mm -hmm. and it kills my printer. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm wondering if if you have any that could be shared um, that's white with black writing. Yes. Like the writing that you shared today about the middle way. Yes, so I just recently put the slides on the website so that people could download for the foundation in the path to enlightenment and the harmony and relationships courses that I teach. It's a five day course. I just uploaded them just recently to the website, but you're sharing something with me that's actually really beneficial because I uploaded them as the way that I use them because they display really nicely with black background and white writing. But in the past, I've also printed them, but I created them as a white background with black writing because yeah, it's better to print them that way. So now realizing this request what i will do is i will switch over all the slides so that i keep a black version for me to display and i will create a white version with black lettering that i will also upload to the website so that you guys can then download it either as a black background or a white background and then it'll be easier for you to print so give me a few days to work on that and then you'll see it on the website and if you're Curious if it's there, you can just go to the buddhadailywisdom.com website and then the link where it says free books, if you click on that, the first several things there to download are the books. But then if you keep scrolling to the bottom of that page, you'll see where it says learning resources. And that's where you'll see the one page chanting printout. You'll see the poster. You'll see image of Gotama Buddha. That's a high resolution picture. You'll see the slides from the various classes that I teach. So I'm starting to put more things on that website to be able to help you guys get access to the resources that you need. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. So I didn't think about the printing part of it. So I'll 
upload a, a white background and with black letters. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. I like to hang them in different spots of the house to be reminded. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm sure, very helpful. Yes, thank you. And it does appear that there are no more questions at this time. Okay. Well, thank you, Chrissy, for moderating. Thank you all for attending class and thank you all for your questions and your dedication and diligence to learning and practicing these teachings. Next week on Sunday, we're going to be in Chapter 7. This is The Five Precepts, A Householder's Guide to Daily Practice. This is where we're going to go through and study the words of the Buddha around the five precepts. If you've done any kind of preliminary work of looking at the teachings of the Buddha, you might have seen people translate the five precepts as no killing, no stealing, no sexual misconduct, no lying, no intoxicants. If this is what you've seen, this isn't what the Buddha taught. These are just very rudimentary translations that people are making, and they sound like rules. They sound like commandments. They sound like black and white. But what you're going to learn in the five precepts when we use the words of the Buddha is that these five precepts are not black and white. They're not rules. What he's essentially doing is he's essentially helping you to see the natural law of gamma closer and closer in a more detailed version and helping you see some of the significant decisions that you could make that would cause harm. And if you're making those decisions, putting out that harm, then harm's going to come back to you. So he's going to share much more illuminating language with you about these five precepts that's going to help better inform your practice. So I'm going to share the words of the Buddha and then I'm going to relate it to topics today and show you how you can practice this. We're going to use different examples. So I'm going to be doing the learning, the reflecting, and the practicing, helping you see how to do all three of those with the five precepts so that you can then more and more bring them into your life because it's going to significantly knock down the unwholesome decisions that you're making and the unwise decisions that are producing these unwholesome results. And then with this wisdom, you'll be able to make wiser decisions that produce wholesome results. So it'll significantly reduce the unwholesome results that you're experiencing. Then on Wednesday, we're going to be in our third class of our four-part series of Buddhist chanting. What I'm doing is I'm teaching chanting, but I'm also doing meditation now as well. So we're just reviewing the chanting and then going right into meditation, and then we're coming out with the chanting. And the students are learning how to do the chanting. So if you'd like to attend that, you're welcome to attend that. And then, of course, we've got the Pali Canon and English Study Group going on. Students can join that at any time. That's on Saturdays where we're studying those volumes 2 through 13. We're now in volume 3, chapters 31 through 40. We just finished up yesterday up to chapter 30. So we're now exploring 31 through 40. So some students like to go through the group learning program at least once or twice before they move into the Pali Canon program, but people can come into that at any point. We even do meditation typically at the very beginning of that class. Some students might just come for the meditation and that's it. So you're welcome to come in and out of those classes whenever you like because I'm sharing the teachings on Sunday, Wednesday, and Saturday. And then remember that we have retreats coming up. Two of them are scheduled in the USA for July and August. And there's one going to be in 
Georgia, one's going to be in Massachusetts. There's also going to be one in August here in Thailand. It's an international retreat. People are coming from all over in the world to come here and study for an entire week. And each of these retreats have different themes. One is themed about all the teachings you need in order to get to the first stage of enlightenment. That's the one in Georgia and the one here in Thailand. And then, of course, we also have the Buddhist pilgrimage tour towards the end of the year where I'm going to be guiding students along the sites of the lifetime of the Buddha, where he was born, where he attained enlightenment, where he delivered his first discourse, where he died, and a bunch of other sites too. Some of the sites, people are kind of not necessarily as much aware of them as I am, so I kind of included them into the tour that you won't see these sites on other tours necessarily, like the site where the doctor of the Buddha dedicated and donated land in order to build a temple. He donated this land and he built this temple and the remnants of this temple are still there. And not too many people know about this particular site. So I've included it into the tour that we're doing. And as we do this tour over a 12 day period, we're going to be doing it as a retreat where we're waking up at the hotel, we're doing meditation together. I'm doing a certain amount of talk and teaching of the teachings. As we're taking our bus tour, there's sometimes we'll be on the bus for about four hours or so. I'll be able to share some teachings there. And then when we actually get to the sites of each individual site of the lifetime of the Buddha, I'll be able to share some teachings there as well. So there's all these different opportunities for you to learn both online here in Thailand and other parts of the world that you guys might be interested to start looking at now that COVID is pretty much people are more accustomed to it. It's not as impactful anymore. People are starting to travel a bit more. So all of these options are available to you. So thank you all for your dedication. Thank you for your support. I appreciate any support that you guys are providing me to help me continue to share these teachings. We'll see you guys in one of these future classes. Have a very lovely and wonderful rest of your day. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.